When life gets difficult, it's not always easy to believe that God will use both the high and low situations in our lives to get us where we need to be. If we can learn to trust him with the big picture, we can find peace and learn to do the right thing in the moment. Today on the Vineyard Church Podcast, lead pastor Chris Figueretti takes us through Genesis 26 and gives us ways that we can move toward trusting God in every situation. Here's Chris. Well, hello, folks, and welcome back to Genesis. We are going through the book of Genesis. This week, we are going to be on chapter 26. The name of the series is In the Beginning, and if you've missed previous messages, you can watch them all online on our website at vineyardwheeling.com. I encourage you to do so. But this week, we are jumping in to the life of Isaac. Abraham and Sarah have passed We've got uh, uh, Isaac has married Rebecca. They've got two sons. Uh, and we've got just a couple ch- chapters here on Isaac. And this week we get to look at kind of the character of Isaac. And, uh, and this passage, Genesis chapter 26, is just full of things to learn. So get your pen out, get ready to write. There's a lot to learn here. And we're going to cover a lot of ground really fast. So here we go. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. It says this. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. All right, so there's a famine in the land. Now, if you remember back, if you were with us for the life of Abraham, uh, they came to a famine, and he was tempted and actually did go to Egypt, which was not a good thing, but he went to Egypt to kind of get away from the famine. Famines were a big deal in their day. Uh, today, we've got you know global transportation systems and supply chains and all of that, and so if there's a, a famine or a drought in one part of the world, we'll just bring food in from another part of the world. They didn't have that option. If the water dried up, Things started to die, and you and you had to deal with it. Uh, so they were in uh, what in that part of the world a famine most likely would have been a drought. Uh, and so if there's no water, there's no life. Uh, Isaac is watching his herds begin to die off, his people begin to become hungry, and um, and and he is tempted as we're about to see. He's tempted to go do what his father did, to go back down to Egypt. Um, and we'll see why he doesn't here in just a moment. Today, you know, for us in our culture, in our time, it would probably be the equivalent of like a depression, you know, some, something where where the money dries up and the economy crashes and, and, you know, the prices of everything goes through the roof. And every time you go to the grocery store, it's more expensive. Oh, does that sound familiar? Um, I mean, we've got uh, most CEOs today are expecting a significant ref- uh, recession in the next year or so. And so are we at the edge of one of these times? I, I don't know. You don't know. They don't know. But these times happen. Famines happen, or in our case, recessions and depressions happen. Um, That's just one of those things that happens, as we're about to see. In in verse 2, it says, The Lord appeared to Isaac, so he's tempted to go to Egypt. The Lord appears to Isaac, and he says, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands. And through your offsprings, offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, because 
Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. All right, so God shows up. Isaac's thinking about going to, uh, to Egypt, making the same mistake that his father makes. God shows up, says, hey, Isaac, don't do it. You're going to stay here. Now, in his, his mind, in his thinking, he's looking around. He's a leader, right? He's looking around at what's going on, and he's like, okay, people are hungry. Animals are dying. We've got to do something. Leaders solve problems, and that's what he's looking at. And so the logical thing to do would be go down to Egypt. The Nile River's there. There's plenty of water. Everything will be good. He said, but, and he's also got to be asking the same question that you would have asked as well. Did I offend God? Did I do something wrong? Uh, maybe, maybe we heard God wrong, or maybe he changed his mind, or, or maybe the promise that he made to my father didn't come to me. And he, so he's asking all these questions, and God shows up and says, listen, Isaac, I'm still with you. I haven't gone anywhere. The promise has passed to you. Uh, I, I affirm that. I confirm that. I'm still here. This is just a famine. It's just a famine. Guys, that's a profound point. It's just a famine because it brings me to point number one. Sometimes in our lives, sometimes hard times are just a famine, not a failure. Let me say that again. Sometimes hard times are just a famine, not a failure. Famines happen. Hard times happen. We think that life should be up and to the right. It just should be, get better, richer, and easier, right? Every generation should be more prosperous than the one before. And, and you know, if we're following God, then, then every day should be better than the one before, and hard times shouldn't touch my life. That's bunk. That's not true. That's not biblical. Hard times happen. And sometimes it's just a famine. There are recessions. There are tough diagnoses to deal with. There are relational rough spots. They come and they touch our lives. I think it, it, it's, it's really a, um, a Western mindset, this idea that, that your prosperity and comfort are somehow an indicator of God's favor. So hear me clearly, your prosperity and your comfort are not an indicator of God's favor. Sometimes it's just a recession. Sometimes it's just a sickness. Sometimes it's just a dumb decision on somebody else's part that just happens to be running into your life. You know, I mean, what about like people, Christians around the world? I've done some travel and I've been to, uh, to Russia, Costa Rica, Vietnam. I remember one trip specifically to Vietnam. Uh, we were with some Christians up in the mountains um, and they were persecuted in a communist country. They kind of they didn't even want us up with these Christian people like we got in trouble for being there. They had nothing. We took them rice and some chickens, which I was very excited about. And, uh, and, and they were just thrilled to have some food. And, and it, but I'm telling you, I, I have pictures from that trip that smiles on these people's faces. They were just hoping to get enough rice to get through tomorrow. And yet they were some of the happiest people I've ever, ever met anywhere. And I remember at the time thinking, my goodness, I'm from the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, and half our people are on antidepressants. And I'm here with people who might not even have rice for tomorrow, and the, the joy that was overflowing in those people. And I've seen that over and over again. So, I mean, is the reason that they don't have anything because God doesn't like them? No, that's ridiculous. That's an American mind, mindset to equate wealth with God's favor. 
I mean, Jesus died with nothing. The disciples didn't have anything. Like, that's not biblical, okay? Now, we're blessed to have been born in America in a, in a, in a wealthy place, and, and, and so, but don't mistake material wealth for God's favor or blessing. There are going to be good times. There are going to be hard times. Christians, there will be seasons of famine. They happen, but God is still with you. And I'm telling you right now, it is better to be in a hard time with God's presence than to be in a good time and be alone. There's a peace through the hard times and the good times when we are with God and when God is with us. Isaac, I'm sure, was asking, you know, if, if God is with me, then why a famine? It's kind of natural. It's kind of human. You know, we ask the question, if God is with me, then why did she leave? Why did my business partner rip me off? Why, why did my kid get sick? And the answer to that question isn't because God's mad at you or walked away or his promise doesn't, doesn't apply to your life for whatever reason. It's because of sin and brokenness. Because we live in a, a sinful, broken world and people are selfish and do dumb things and hurt other people. And, 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 and disease uh, attacks our, our, our lives and our world because of sin. It's not that God's gone anywhere. Famines happen. Now, Isaac is considering bailing and going to Egypt like Abraham. He's considering taking matters into his own hands. Like a, like a leader, he's assessing the situation going, okay, I need to fix this for my people. Nothing wrong with any of that. As a leader, he's a problem solver. Logic would dictate, this is what I'm going to do. But God shows up and says, stay. I'm still with you. We're going to be okay. And he makes him a promise that he's going to be blessed and that the promise is going to come down through him and through the next generation. Um, and, and, and God says, you know, like this place, it's still the promise, stay put. And so he does. And he is being led by God, which brings me to point number two. I would rather be led than lucky or smart. I would rather be led than lucky or smart. You know, I, I, I like to think that I'm kind of smart, <laughs> but I'm not as smart as God. God sees the beginning from the end. He sees what's coming over the horizon. He knows where I need to be before I even know that place exists. And I would rather be directed by God than, than, uh, than, than get it right because of my, my intellect or, or luck, which is completely, anyway, it's com completely unreliable, right? You know, I, 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 we, we meet downtown uh, on Sunday morning at the Capitol Theater. In the last couple of weeks, I had not been preaching, so I was able to kind of sit out and look at at what's going on in the theater and kids' church and just kind of work on the church instead of working in the church for a couple of weekends, which was really, really insightful. And I felt like God whispered to my heart, you're right where you need to be. Um, that, that, you know, for the last 22 years that I've been on staff here at the church, we've probably outgrown our facility on Warden Run about five times. Um, and trying to solve that problem, where do we go? How do we make more room? Because we're here to reach people for Christ. That's what we do. And, uh, and, and I don't have time to tell all the stories about how we ended up at the Capitol Theater or how we got the building across the street for Kids Church or where that's going, but I'm telling you, it's been God the whole way. We have been led, and what he, the picture he gave me of 
over the last couple of weekends is, you guys, this is great now, and it's going to continue to grow. And I honestly believe there's a revival coming. Um, I think we are in the midst of some crazy times, and it's in times like these where God intervenes and pours out His Spirit in revival. And I think we're set for it, guys. We got room to reach our community for Christ. I would rather be led than smart or lucky any day of the week. God, lead us. And that's what we see Isaac doing. Now, what it's not saying and what I'm not saying is don't be wise or don't be thoughtful. I mean, this, those traits are praised throughout the Bible. They're, they're important, and we want to be thoughtful, and we want to be wise. Just saying, seek God's direction, His, or His, His voice, and be obedient to what He tells you, because it's going to be, go better than what you think. Oftentimes, what we think is good, and we make that decision to go, but oftentimes, God will direct us to get us to where we need to be. Well, in verse 7, it says, when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Bump, bump, bump. Uh-oh. Okay, so Isaac, Isaac got it right on not going to Egypt, right? But he does not get it right on this one. This is a mistake his father Abraham made twice. He made it twice. And now Abraham or Isaac makes the same mistake. He says, she's my sister because he was afraid to say she's my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. So something in this culture in this time that it was kind of a custom that uh, if somebody thought your wife was hot, they could kill you and take your wife. It was a messed up period of, of history, I guess. I don't know. Or these, the pagans um, obviously were not led by the principles of our God. But at any rate, Isaac is afraid. So far, he's doing better than his dad. We know from last week that, that his wife, Rebecca, was unable to conceive. They waited 20 years. Isaac did not go and get a Hagar like Abraham did to try and solve the problem himself. He prayed for 20 years, and then she became pregnant. He got that one right. I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to rip my family apart the way dad did. <laughs> The famine comes, he doesn't go to Egypt, he stays, he got that right. But this time, with the whole lying about the sister-wife thing, he blows it. He blows it. Now, in verse 3, God shows up and promises him that it's going to go well for him, that God's going to take care of him, that the promise is going to come down through his line, that all, you know, and in a moment of fear, he makes a dumb decision and he makes the same mistake that his father made. Why? Well, he learned it from his dad. Guys, this is generational sin. Abraham didn't do this one once, he did it twice. And parents, your kids are watching. They're watching you. And if there's sin in your life, chances are you will pass it to your kids. So deal with it. Root it out of your life. Make it right with God and with others. Do whatever you need to do. It is time to deal with our own sin for the sake of our kids because your legacy for the good or the bad oftentimes is passed to your kids and certainly with this generational sin thing. All right. Well, in verse 8, it says, When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, 
king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? All right, so this whole scene is super messed up. All right, so the word for caressing there uh, is in the King James, it's sporting, which actually just technically means sexual play. So it's the same word used in Exodus 32 where Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with God for 40 days and the nation of Israel turns their back on God and starts worshiping an idol and having orgies. It's sexual play, right? So he and Rebecca, which is fine. I mean, they're married, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. Now, the fact that the king could look down and see them, that's a little weird. Public displays of affection inappropriate. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't do that. I don't know exactly why that happened, but what I do know is that the king is like, she's your wife, and he's busted. Isaac answers him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now, it's interesting because Abimelech is a pagan, Philistine pagan king. He doesn't know God, but he does know something about Isaac's God. He's been watching Isaac. And, uh, and, and so, obviously, their, sex, their, their code of sexual morality was different than, than what God's was and is. And yet, he's like, you know, he's seen enough of God's work in Isaac's life that he doesn't want any of that coming towards him. He does not want to make Isaac's God angry. So, he's been able to see God at work in Isaac's life and Isaac's family. Now, I think it's interesting here, just a side note, that the God follower, Isaac, is lying and deceiving, and the pagan is acting rightly, right? The pagan king's like, what are you doing? I don't want to, you know, and, and, and I, I don't, for me, the honesty of the Bible, the fact that God includes not just the successes, but the failures of our, our heroes of the faith gives me a great deal of hope because they didn't get it 100% right all of the time. You know, it also helps me to believe that this is actually, this is actually true uh, and, and these, these uh, accounts are true and that, that it is the Word of God because nobody gets it right all the time. You don't and I don't. We're a work in progress. But the fact that, that God said, go ahead and put that in the Bible, go ahead and put in the Bible that the pagan is acting more righteous than the patriarch, I think just gives me a tremendous amount of encouragement because there are times when I blow it royally as well, and there are times when you do too. But Isaac keeps moving. In verse 12, it says, Isaac planted crops in the land, and that same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man, Isaac, became rich, and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So he comes through the, through the famine. He's got some protection from the king because the king doesn't want to upset Isaac's God, who he knows is real because he's seen him at work in Isaac's life. Then Isaac plants a crop, and it comes back a hundredfold. Now, 
not being an agricultural society, this doesn't mean a lot to us, but to, to them being an entirely agricultural society, it would have meant a ton. See, crops don't come back at a hundredfold. They come back at maybe 20 or 30 times. A hundredfold would be, have been a miraculous crop, a miraculous field. You just don't see that. But when that, if, if and when that happens, everybody's going to notice, including King Abimelech. They could see the blessing of God on Isaac's life, on Isaac's pursuits. They could see God at work, even in the, the famine, and now in this blessing, they can see that God is at work in Isaac's life. And, and this blessing serves to get Isaac to where he needs to be next. One of the things you're going to notice through this entire passage is that there are, there are some really big winds, like the hundredfold field, and there are some very difficult things that he has to face, like the famine and what we're about to see. But it gets Isaac to where he needs to be next. So that brings me to point number three. You may want to write this down. It's, it's basically this. God uses the good and bad in our lives. God uses the good and bad in our lives to direct us to where we need to be. Part of the reason hard times come is because God is directing you to where you need to be. And you have to, it's like running into a wall and, ow, my nose, but then you turn and you head in the right, right direction or God has something for you in the midst of that struggle that you're going through or something for you to accomplish or something he wants to accomplish in you. So it, we take a turn towards heart again. So in, in verse 15, it says, So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. So what we're about to see is that King Abimelech is going to come to Isaac and say, You need to get out of here. You're becoming too powerful for us. And, he, and Isaac moves back to some of the, the pasture lands out in the countryside where his father lived for years and years and years and raised his herds and flocks and, and had wells out there, okay? And so uh, when Abraham died, they filled up the wells with dirt, kind of like, well, I don't want, you know, kind of a spite towards Abraham, don't want Isaac coming back. Uh, it, not a good thing. So verse 16, it says, then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You've become too powerful for us. They were concerned. I mean, he's got this God that they can see at work in his life, and, they've got, and, and, and he's now got influence and money and economic momentum. And it goes on. It says, so Isaac moved away from there. Now, I think it's fascinating that Isaac's, you know, if he had that much power, he could have said, no, I'm not. I've got people. I've got power. I'm not going anywhere. I've got this magic field that's, you know, growing crops at a hundredfold. I'm not leaving my field. But it says Isaac just moved away from there, and he encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham. So he takes his guys, they, they spend the, the, the hard work, they're in the desert, water tables low, and dig out these wells. They're very deep which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. So they would name wells, and they would be kind of landmarks on the, on the landscape. Now, water's everything in the Middle East. You don't have water, you don't have life. You have water, you got life. You don't have water, you can't 
You can't grow things. You can't raise animals. You can't do anything. It, it, it's it's kind of the the it, it is the the substance that makes everything work and would enable him to become wealthy over time. And so they dig these wells up. They need the water. So they get these wells established. And then it says, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. So they dig another well. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one. So he named it Sitna. So the local herders come, and they're like, this is our water. You can't come back here. And they run him off of his father's wells, and they run him off of these new wells, these two new wells that they had dug. This would be kind of the equivalent of of me coming into a town and going, I'm going to start a business. And so I'm going to do all the hard work. I'm going to get the business set up. I'm going to invest my life savings. I'm going to put in the first couple of years getting it to a self-sustainable place. And then somebody were to come up to me and go, hey, that business, it's mine. Go on. What would you do if somebody did that? Well, that's exactly what's going on here with Isaac. And again, Isaac moves on. I want you to notice he's not combative. He's not fighting with them. He could have. He was a powerful man with lots of people, but he doesn't. Well one, he names Essek, which means contention. And the, the second well that they dug, he names Sitna, which means opposition. In verse 22, it says he, uh, he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. He names this, this well roominess. This is the well where, where I can stretch out, where, where my flocks can, can kind of find, a, find water and pasture and all of that. And he, I think it's just amazing. I, I think it's, it's really cool, you know, contention and opposition. He decides, I'm not going to stay and fight my way through contention and opposition. I'm going to move far away from contention and opposition, and I'm going to find some room where I can grow and do my thing and where, where I can worship my God. See, Abraham, I think, understood that there are things in this life more important than things. And one of those is not living in contention and opposition, if you can help it. And, and, and notice that he doesn't get all competitive here. I think a lot of us would be very competitive in this situation. We would fight for what's ours. But he moves on and trusts that God will provide what he needs when he gets there. Now, I, I think of Abraham and Lot. Many weeks ago, we, we, uh, we were following Abraham and Lot, and, and they get to this, pl- this, this same region, and Abraham... And, and Lot, Lot's Abraham's nephew, they both have flocks and herds, and they're starting to kind of step on each other's territory and get in each other's way. So Abraham goes to Lot and says, Lot, you pick an area where you want to go, and, and, and you go in that direction, and I'll go in the other direction, and we'll just stay out of each other's ways as far as our business pursuits are concerned. They're still family and friends and, and all of that. And Lot looks at the land, he surveys the land, and he goes, man, down there towards, towards Sodom, it is green and lush. It is the best field, the most water, the, the best pasture lands. I'm taking that. And Abraham's like, okay. <laughs> and he goes, I'll just go over here. And, and Abraham goes over, you know, and, and 
doesn't get competitive about it, but just goes over and does his thing, and God just blesses the socks off of Abraham, even though he didn't have the be- very best of everything and, 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 and fight for it, because there are things in life that are more important than things. And he trusted God enough that he'd get him to where he needed to go. You know, our working definition for faith in this series has been trusting God enough to do what he says, right? Um, even if we don't understand, even if we don't understand it, which I, is absolutely right. I think another component of faith, though, is this. Faith is knowing God will get you to where he wants you to be. You don't have to muscle and struggle and fight with other people to get there. But if you can learn to trust God, he'll get you to better places than you'll get to on your own and preserve relationships along the way. Well, in verse 23, it says this, from there he went to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he reaffirms, God shows up again, reaffirms the fact that that Isaac is is the carrier of the promise and that the promise will come, come through him. And then it says this in verse 25, Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. Underline that. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. I want you to notice the order of things. The first thing that Isaac did is he built an altar and he worshiped God. Then he took care of the rest of the business. Then he took care of buying a, you know, setting up a tent and, or building a house and, and, and finding a, digging a well, kind of the equivalent of getting a job. We do the complete opposite. Like when, when, when we move to a new town, a lot of times Christians will, 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 first thing we'll do is, well, there's a job. I got, I got a job. So we got the well taken care of, right? And well, then I got to find the right home, the perfect home in the right neighborhood and all that. So we get the home taken care of. Then we got to get the kids in school and the proper sports activities and all these other things. And after a few months or years, we'll start to look for a church. Well, those are backwards priorities. Worship first, take care of business second. Worship first, take care of business second. Yet, in our culture and in Christian culture in our country, we have put worship down on the list, haven't we? You know, like, well, you know, I can listen to the message uh, via podcast on the way to the golf course. So I got church in. That's not worship, guys. I mean, I'm glad you're listening to the, the podcast if you're listening to the podcast right now. I mean, it's better than nothing, but worship is focusing. It's not just content. It's focusing our life on God in a, in, in a worshipful way with other people. It's, it's a corporate thing. And worship first. Worship first. Like before you move to a town, find a great church there. Then you can worry about the job and the and the, the, the house and all of that stuff. What's at the top of your list? And here's what I found. Not that life goes perfect, but boy, life is way more blessed when your priorities are straight, when worship is first in our lives. Isaac isn't perfect, but he does have his priorities straight in this regard. And so often we just try and shoehorn worship in around lesser priorities. I think it would change our nation if the Christians in our nation 
would get this right. Worship first, take care of business second. Well, in verse 26, it says, Meanwhile, dun, 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 meanwhile, Bemelech had come to him from Gerir. So he's here, he has his worship service. They start digging a well and building a house and all of that. And in the middle of all of that, King Ahuzath, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, King Abimelech with his uh, with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, his commander of his forces, they come to him, and Isaac asks him, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? So obviously, Isaac doesn't feel like he was treated very well by the king, and um, he was sent away, and then they built his wells, and then he got kicked out of there, and I mean, it's just been one thing after another after another with this with this king, he does not like the way that he's been treated. But verse 28, they answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. Underline that. We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you will do us no harm, just as we did not harm you but we, we always treated you well and sent you away peacefully. Clearly, there's a difference in the perception of how things ended, right? Um, but then at the end, the end of that verse, it says, and underline this too, and now you are blessed by the Lord. So it starts with, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you, and now you are blessed by the Lord. They have seen the work of God in Isaac's life the whole way through. And they don't want to mess with that God because they know that God's real. We've seen your God at work in your life. We don't want to mess with him and we don't want his wrath coming at us. We don't want you coming at us. Let's sign a treaty together. Let's, let's make peace. Don't miss this. When you step back from this, this, this whole passage... Isaac's struggle, his string of struggles, the famine, the, the getting run off of, from his field, a hundredfold field, getting run off of six different wells along the way, uh, the, the, the persecution that, that, that he experienced along the way. It wasn't about Isaac. It was about them seeing Isaac's God. They could see that Isaac's God was real. They could see that Isaac's God was at work in his life through the good times and through the hard times. Guys, sometimes our struggle isn't about us. Sometimes our struggle is about somebody that we don't even know. Sometimes our struggle is the opportunity for someone else to see our God. About a year and a half ago, my 88-year-old uncle got COVID, ended up in the hospital, and almost died. He didn't. He's doing well, but he almost died. It was really bad. And he could have very easily have gone, why me? Woe is, woe is me. Why, God, are you letting this happen to me? Have I done something wrong? Have you left me? But he didn't. Even through the worst of the illness, he looked for opportunities to, to, uh, to stay positive, to share his faith, and the doctors and the nurses and the rehabilitation people that he worked with all through the COVID and then afterwards with the, the recovery and the rehab that he was doing afterwards, all these people were like, you are such an inspiration. Like you survived this. And every time he would say, well, it's because 
I go to the Vineyard Church, and there were a lot of people praying for me. And God did this. God brought me through. And, and, and it opened up opportunities to share his faith and to pray for and be the blessing to people that he never would have met otherwise. And that COVID, that was, you know, it was a kick in the head. But him getting it and going through that wasn't even about him. It was about the people that he had the opportunity to show his God to and to share his God with. Guys, whatever famine or struggle you may be going through, it may have nothing to do with you, but it's God using your life to do something great in somebody else. Which brings me to point number four. When life is not all about you, you can see what God is up to. I think that's the problem a lot of times, especially, again, it's the human condition. We think that we're the center of the story and that life is all about us. It's not. And when you can get it through your thick heart and your thick head that life isn't all about you, all of a sudden you can see what God's up to. You can see the opportunities he's putting in front of you, and you can join him in what he's doing. That's what Isaac does here. And we see this in verse 30. It says, Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. If I were Isaac, I would have run them off. <laughs> He makes a feast for them. They eat and drink together. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. Isaac wasn't holding a grudge. He wasn't saying, boy, you filled my wells. You ran me off. You took my field. Mm -mm. No, he made peace. He showed them his God and what his God is like. He understood this was never about my success. It's been about you knowing my God. Let me ask you this. Is your life about being fat and happy and comfortable, or is it about reaching people? Because we're here, guys, to reach people. Now, if we can be you know, wealthy and comfortable along the way, that's great, but most of the time or a lot of times that's not, not the plan. But what's your life about? Because if it's all about being fat and happy, you will never know peace and you will never reach your full redemptive potential. But if it's about reaching people, well, God provides everything else along the way. What you have been given is far more about them than it is you, but we all have to get that through our heads and through our hearts. Isaac could have fought. He could have run them off in anger, he, but he decided to make them dinner. He decided to welcome them and make peace with them. He decided to show them his God and what he's like. In verse 32, it says, That day Isaac's servant came, or servants came and told him about the well they had dug. So they'd been working on this well, and they said, We found water, which is a big deal. You know, they don't always find water when they dig a well. It's a big deal. It's, it's blessing. It's life. It's... It's prosperity. It's all the, it represents all those things. And he called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. Sheba means seven. It was the seventh place they stopped and dug a well or un uncovered a well. So he got run off six times before this. But Isaac gets it right. He passes the test. 
He understands that it's not all about him. He makes a difference in the world that he lives in, in the lives of the people that God had sent him to or told him to stay with. And so from here, you would expect God would say, and now Isaac lived happily ever after, which he did until the next verse when it says, when Esau was 40 years old, his son Esau, his oldest son, he married Judith, daughter of Bere the Hittite, and also Basemith, daughter of Elon the Hittite. So he married two chicks. Can I say chicks in church? I just did. And they were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau marries two pagan floozies and brings them home and makes his parents miserable. And if I'm Isaac, I'm thinking, really? God, really? After all I've done for you? (laughs) And I'm sure that God reassured him, it's a famine. This isn't about you, buddy. That boy is driven by his appetites. He makes bad decisions, and this is one of them. But I'll bring good out of it, and I'll get you to where you need to be if you trust me. Guys, sometimes hard times are just a famine. They're not a failure. It's just a difficult thing you have to walk through. And God will use those hard times to get you to where you need to be. And if you can learn to trust him in the process, in the journey, and think beyond today or tomorrow, but think big picture, you can relax and you can do the right thing in the moment. And if you can get over yourself and make life not all about you, you will be able to see better what God is up to and you'll be able to join in and accomplish the things that you were planted here to accomplish in the first place. And in the end, if you commit yourself to spend your life on something bigger than you, if you commit yourself to helping others see your God by the way you live, your life will be full of purpose and peace and blessing. And as Jesus said, life in all its fullness. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would cause it to fall deep into our hearts and stick Lord, help us to live your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.